0: Please remain standing. I'd like to read Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 16. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, For a bishop must be blameless, as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. You may be seated. Last time we talked about the qualifications of the elder... And here we see a second text that lays out the qualifications of elders. And I want to touch on that a bit, but I also want to focus on the task of the elder, because the qualifications become obvious that they are qualifications when you consider the task. Now, so, to begin, let's look at the section on the qualifications. For this reason, I left you in Crete you should set in order the things that are lacking. So, the Apostle Paul left Titus in Crete to accomplish a task, to fulfill something that was lacking. What was lacking? What were the things that were lacking? And appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So, appointing elders, plural, in every city as I commanded you. In other words, there are multiple elders in each church. This is the early church. This is a planting of churches. We're in order to suggest that there should only be one elder to have the Episcopal view that there should be one elder in a church you'd have to say well on Crete there was only one church there 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 were multiple churches in every city and so there were need for multiple elders in every city because you needed multiple elders because the same number of elders needed to rule over the same number of churches now it's plain from the rest of Scripture that the principle of rule by council, the election of multiple elders to rule in a local way as well as going up into the, the courts of appeal is the design that God has given. And so you have to come in with the intention of trying to cram episcopacy down the throats of a congregation to even dream of trying to impose this on, that ta- on this text. But the principle is to appoint elders, plural, in every city, as Paul commanded Titus. And then there's a laying out of the qualifications. And notice, again, it's elders, plural. And so one of the ways of trying to escape is to try to say, well, there's elders and then there's bishops. Verse 6, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless. Episcopos. So we have the presbyteros, and now we have the episcopus. And notice that the two are the same. There are to be elders in every city. And here are the qualifications of an elder. Because a bishop must be. The because does not make any sense unless the two are the same. For a bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, Sober minded, just, holy, self controlled. Now, we looked last time at this list, a similar list, in 1 Timothy 3. He's to be blameless. Blamelessness, remember, has to do, it's not sinlessness. What is blamelessness? It's there's no charges that are left against this man that are unresolved, and he shows a willingness. To go through conflict resolution. And that going through conflict resolution involves a willingness when someone brings a charge to hear the charge and to either give a just defense for the resolution or to repent and commit to doing what is right. A one-woman man, the husband of one wife. We talked about that last time. Having faithful children, not accused, of dissipation or insubordination. Now, that language, I want to compare. Okay? We're going to contrast, compare and contrast here. So 1 Timothy 3, you have the language about children. And the language about children reads as follows. It says, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Okay. His children in submission with all reverence. Here we have having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. The word dissipation there is a word that essentially means not saved. Um, I'm going to read you the precise wording, but the root of it is essentially it's A, like, like atheist, not. And then uh, sozen, which is taped. Okay, and so it's uh, Titus one, what's the verse? Everybody. Verse six. Six, thank you. Having children that are pista believing and not in an accusation of a sotius. Okay, so soteriology Soteriology, the root word there is salvation. It's the study of the doctrine of salvation. This is the same root. So children who are not accused of dissipation, which is a sotius, or insubordination. So the idea of the children being believing, they're having a profession of faith. And obviously, if they are very young, that's not going to be possible. But the point is that there's not, they, these children are in the covenant, and then they are not able to be accused of having an uncredible profession. They're not able to be accused of being outside of the faith in a believable way. And then it's going on and saying they're not insubordinate. Now, children are not required to be in submission for the whole of their lives for their parents. And so this lets us understand that this is talking about while the children are in the household. At the same time, if an elder has multiple adult children who have left the home and no longer have an obligation of subordination... But if they have abandoned the faith as soon as they leave the covenant household, that calls into question the quality of leadership of that man. He cannot regenerate his children. He cannot give saving faith to his children. But we are told, as a general rule, if you raise up your children in the way that they should go, that when they are old, they will not depart from it if the general rule in a house is that an elder rules and raises up his children and when they are old they depart from the faith maybe he did a good job but he doesn't have evidence for it and if he doesn't have evidence for it he doesn't exhibit evidence of being fit for the office not every man who has the internal qualifications has the external evidence necessary for office. It is our job when considering officers to look for the positive evidence. It is not our obligation to admit any man to office who we cannot prove is lacking these qualifications. It's our obligation to only admit such as have sufficient evidence to say, the evidence of this qualification is present and we can give testimony to it. And so that is the guard for the office. Now, the children are not to be there to be believing children and not to be accused of dissipation or not being saved and insubordination. Now dissipation, why that why that uh, translation? Dissipation is the idea of energy going out uselessly, right? You have a focused use of energy, you get stuff done. If you dissipate, if you just spread energy out, right, you can do a little of that, a little of this, a little of that, you don't close anything, right? Starting things is easy, finishing things is hard. Starting things is easy, finishing things is hard. Dissipation manifests itself in not completing things. And so the idea that you're looking for the qualification of these children not being wastrels, not evidencing that they are useless, and so even now, so the children in my own home, right? The children in my home are in my household. And so one of the things to look for is, are they seeking to be useful? Am I profitably employing my own children? Am I governing my house in such a way that I am putting my children to do useful work? If they are not, then that is giving evidence that they are not saved. Now, there's a difference between what we do in terms of casting somebody out of the assembly and what you do to look at a child and say, it seems like you're not governing your house in such a way as to put your children to profitable use, to give evidence of salvation. And, you know, the older the children are, the more that's going to be manifest. But I have several children that are, you know, young men, young women. Right? So you look at that and you say, Is, and you're judging me for the office? You consider, are these children... Seeking to, are, they, are they giving credible profession of faith? Are they seeking to accomplish things? Now, I'm thankful to have three children at the table. And those three that are at the table need to be judged as community members. And you examine me, you say, am I, am I ruling my house well? So you do that with other people, as well as you consider people for office. Now, verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless... as a steward of God right? the word steward is a, the root for the household oikos and it's a household administrator is sort of what the word means so one who manages the house of God now if you're a steward of God imagine you're a steward for anybody somebody hires you and your job is to manage their household and you come in and you just go you know, I'm going to run this house the way I want to run it so I'm going to change this out I don't like the smell of that soap. I'm going to replace it with this soap that I like more. But pretty quickly, the owner of the house is going to go, what are you doing? You are not managing my house the way that I want you to manage my house. And you go, yeah, I just figured, you know, I'm not using, like, foul-smelling soap, so I just figured you'd, you'd be fine with it because this is good enough. I mean, frankly, you'd have to do it yourself otherwise, so you should be grateful that I'm doing anything to maintain your house for you. Right? This is the way a lot of ministers treat the church of God as opposed to saying, There's a regulated principle of doctrine. I can only teach what I can prove from the revelation of God. There's a regulated principle of worship. I can only lead the people of God to do the worship I can prove from the Word of God. There's a regulated principle of government. I can only rule in a way that is appointed by God. Only offices that are appointed by God. There is no director of youths. There is no women's ministry pastor. There is no what, you name it. The the number of offices that have been invented by stewards who think that God should be grateful that they came under His service is an offense and a stench to God. We are stewards. Officers are stewards of God. And as stewards of God, it is our obligation to run His house according to His rules. And He has given a 1,000-page book about how He wants to see His household run. And so often, elders have the gall to say, but he didn't speak on that. And so I can do what I want. He gave us a thousand-page book. It's a mind of God revealed to man. It is sufficient for all of life. And elders are called to apply it, to be stewards of his house. So if a man is blameless... The husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. You evidence that you're willing to rule God's house in the way that God wants by ruling your own house in the way that God wants. Not self-willed. Now, being self-willed means you think, I am going to choose what is good for me and my house based upon what I want rather than based upon what God has revealed in his holy word. So then, not quick-tempered. Right? You don't get angry quickly. There's not a tendency towards the use of violence or power. Not given to wine. Not, not a tendency towards pleasure-seeking. Not violent. And that... Uh, we have the pleasure, power, money elements. And it goes into not greedy for money... Right, and So we have the not-violent, and we have the not-quick-tempered, those together. The not-quick-tempered is necessary because you're going to be a peacemaker. Now, not greedy for gain, right? this is the not being a lover of money, not being a lover of, of ill-gotten gain. And then hospitable, being willing to let people into your home, to be observed. We talked about hospitality a lot last time. A lover of what is good. So think about a philosopher, philosophia, the love of wisdom. This is the love of what is good. And so you can identify what's good, which means you've got wisdom, and then you love it. That manifests itself in a focus on trying to accomplish what is good. Mission focus. Uh, Sober-minded. This is sophrona, again. This is that word that means prudent. So you, you have your mission focused, and then you're also prudent. You're applying the appropriate means, again, just, holy, self-controlled. So the justice, it's important that a, a an officer, that a an elder in particular be just because he's going to be administering justice in the church courts. Right? Rather than going to law when there's a dispute between members, the appropriate thing to do is to bring the dispute to the church court rather than going before the civil court. And so there's an administration of justice. Holy, the person knows the difference between who ought to be in and out. The The, the holiness has to do with not profane relationship, not not being somebody who is soiled by the world, but somebody who keeps the boundaries, preserves the markers, will guard the table. Self-controlled. He governs himself. He's able to govern his house. He's able to govern the church. The word is, is, is kratia, which is rule, and ego. Right? It's, it's ego rule. It's self-rule. Ego is just I in Greek. So this idea that he can rule the eye. He can rule himself. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. So this this holding fast to the word, he doesn't budge from it. He is stable in the doctrine that he believes and teaches. And it's based upon the faithful word. He can demonstrate it from the scriptures. And the idea is he's received this instruction from those who come before him. And that is demonstrated in his ability by sound doctrine. The word sound there is really like the root of the word hygiene. It's it's the idea of cleansing or healing doctrine. By, By cleansing or healing doctrine he's able both to exhort, remember exhortation is speech that gives strength. He's able to exhort and to convict. And convicting is rebuking and showing someone to be in error. So he can give strength to put on and he's able to show what's wrong and put off those who contradict. So when somebody says something that's contrary to the word He's able to say, no, that's wrong, and here's why. He's able with the cleansing word to give doctrine that heals and give exhortation, words of strength that help you to be empowered to do good works. That's the kind of preaching you want to sit under. The cleansing word, the healing word, the word that gives power to be able to do good works, the word that pushes off and casts out error. These qualifications, they become obvious when you look next. Verse 10. For there are many insubordinate. That's the same word as his children can't be insubordinate. The same word in the Greek too. He needs to not have children that are insubordinate because how is he going to stop the heretics? How is he going to fight back the wolves if he can't fight back his children's insubordination? For there are many insubordinate... Both idle talkers, and that word idle, empty, meaningless words, they're idle talkers and they're deceivers. There are all sorts of people who want to stand in front of you and waste your time with empty words and receive platitudinous applause. And there are people who want to deceive you. There are some who want to stand in front of a crowd and get applause. And there are some who want to deceive. The idle talking is for the ego and for gain. And the deception is for gain. We are far too kind to heretics. We think that people who teach false doctrine don't have bad motives. They want to murder your soul. They hate God and they want your wallet. Heretics are murderers of souls. And so we have to be careful to keep the office of elder away from heretics. Now the ones to especially look out for are those of the circumcision. What does that mean? Well the circumcision is a reference specifically to those who teach that the old covenant ceremonies are still obligatory. Or teach that the performing of ceremonies or works is necessary for justification before God. So people who put laws that are not obligatory on you and people who put a false doctrine or justification before your eyes, those especially are to be looked out for. And so in watching out for those, you need to pay careful attention when considering a man for office. What do you believe is obligatory for the church? And how do you think a man is saved? You test them carefully on it. You test them with precision on it. You look for the doctrine, and you look for the shibboleths. What did they say about imputation? What is saving faith? What is grace? You talk to them about, how do you know the difference between what's obligatory and what's not? How do you guard my liberty as a Christian? How do you know how to protect us from those who would not keep the law? What are the laws that you're going to discipline people for? This idea of understanding the difference between what's obligatory now and what's not, And understanding very carefully the doctrine of justification. People who teach false obligatory doctrines. Who smuggle in. Judaizing into the church. The old covenant ceremonies. Like candles, smells, bells, instruments. A priesthood with a collar, And all of these things are trying to pull people back in. To the infantile outward pomp and ceremony of the old covenant. The old covenant was for an infant church. This church is growing into the mature man. That is the new covenant church. Keeping the church infantile is almost as good as destroying it as a whole for Satan. It prevents it from being useful and forceful in taking over the world. Infants don't conquer things. But having a wrong doctrine of justification will damn souls and it will take away the light. It removes the lampstand. their mouths must be stopped. They subvert whole households, and if you give them a pulpit, they will subvert a whole church. They will teach things that they ought not to teach. It's a moral failing to teach false doctrine. Right? We, we say, we think, you know, the real, the real moral failings are adultery. The real moral failings are theft. The real moral failings are murder. But we think violations of the first, second, third, and fourth commandment do not matter. Ah, false doctrine. Maybe he didn't mean it. They teach things that they ought not to teach. Teaching false doctrine, being unclear, being difficult to correct, these are failings. They're moral failings. We ought to hold men accountable for them, especially if they're in office. They teach things that ought not to be taught. Their mouths need to be stopped. They subvert whole households. They teach things that ought not to be taught for the sake of dishonest gain. What kind of gain? Honor. Pleasure. Power. Reputation. There are many things to be gained by wrongly taking over a church. Is that so hard to believe? Do we, why, why are we so slow to consider That pastors have bad motives. When we think about the history of the church, overwhelmingly the church has been dominated by heretics thus far in history. Romanism dominated Europe for a millennium. The desire for evil men to take church offices and church money and reputation is overwhelming. The tendency for churches to be taken over by wicked teachers is overwhelming. In the 1930s, there was a great battle over the infallibility of the Bible. Conservatives left denominations in droves and formed conservative denominations. Within a generation or two, almost all of them have become liberal. We have to be willing to separate, and we have to be willing to form new institutions. And then we have to safeguard them because we were called not just to work but also to keep. When you work to build a thing and then hand it over to the pagans, you have squandered your life. And so you have to be prepared to keep. Elders have an enormous duty of guarding the gates. They have to keep out heretics. And then you, as the people of God, have a duty to prevent heretics from entering the office of elder as do the elders. There are two keys. No one can enter office without the laying on of hands of the current officers and the election of the heads of house. The nukes cannot be fired without both keys. And this is like nuclear warfare. We are giving a man a pulpit. And those weapons have a more lasting effect than long half-life radiation. Verse 12, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So Paul here is either saying all men are these things, or he's saying that there is a um, general tendency of the Cretan people to have these as national sins, or he is saying this is a hominem argument. So the Cretans are arguing against me. One of the Cretan prophets who is being appealed to says this, if that's true, then their whole system is false, so therefore reject their Jewish fables. All right, so it, it's one of those things. I think it's the last one. Verse 13 this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply. Right, that's part of the task, the duty of convicting or rebuking. So, as a command, elders need to rebuke sharply. It's a hard thing to rebuke people. It is hard to rebuke people to their face. It is hard to tell people they are wrong. It's hard to stare them down. It's hard to press. It's hard to fight. These things are hard. If a person likes those things, if a person just gets angry, blows up, and fights, if a person's contentious, they're not fit for the office. But if they're unwilling to do it, they're not fit for the office. So what are they willing to fight about? These have to be people who are willing to give way, to show moderation and self-control and giving up things for personal gain sometimes, a willingness to take it on the chin, and yet be willing to fight over doctrine. And what we do is we emasculate elders by telling them that they care too much about little points of doctrine. You're arguing over how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. What if I told you that mattered? because the answer to that question will tell you are angels material beings or are they entirely spiritual because if they're entirely spiritual an infinite number of them can dance on the head of a pen but if they have bodies then only a limited number and that's the point of that question what if that matters just pretend for a minute that it matters it's easy to blow things off as not mattering Omo are you really going to split the church over an iota Doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son are the same in essence or they're similar in essence. You're going to split the church over that difference? Of course. So caring about the details of doctrine matters and the way you avoid that being a tyranny is by making them prove it from the Bible. So you require that they prove it from the trustworthy word And that they care about it. They care about the doctrine. A zeal for truth. A zeal with knowledge. They have to be willing to rebuke sharply. That they may be sound in the faith. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Those are the two categories up in that idea of those who are of the circumcision party bringing Jewish fables bringing doctrines that are from outside of the scriptures that are traditions of men and then the commandments of men as opposed to the commandments from the scriptures so the doctrine of authority scripture alone the doctrine of justification and where do you get what's right and what's wrong from the law of God carefully guarding those things those are particular things to judge elders on Verse 15. Notice, those who go after the Jewish fables and go after the commandments of men, they turn. From, those are the ones who turn from the truth. Those, those people turn from the truth. Verse 15. To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. It's your job to draw out of men as you're considering them for the offices of elder and deacon. It's your job to draw out their thoughts. You ask them questions to draw out their thoughts. You're trying to see what is it they actually think, and you're trying to compare it to the scriptures. And that's one of the reasons why a confessional standard is so helpful, because it organizes doctrine into categories, into heads of doctrine that make it easier to test a man. Ah, chapter 11, the doctrine of justification. Let's talk about this in detail. The Ten Commandments. What do you think about the Fourth Commandment? To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So how do you find out if they're defiled and unbelieving? You ask for their doctrine. You listen to how they explain things. How clear are they on it? Now, it's possible for somebody to understand the Reformed faith and ape it and mouth it and just to give you all the right answers. And that will be revealed in time, and that person should be removed from office when you find out they're a hypocrite. But if they won't even ape it, do not give them a pulpit because of the reality of hypocrisy, we sell short even hypocrisy. We act like to get, for heretics to get a pulpit, they don't even need to pretend. And so in the Presbyterian denominations now, people don't even have to hold to the confessional standard to get in the pulpit. The pure all things are pure. And one of the things is, you know, we're called generally to look at people and, and to, to try to judge charitably. except when it's your duty to find positive evidence. And so the tendency of the sweet and mild Christian is to give the benefit of the doubt to the candidate for office. To the pure, all things are pure. Even this defiled one looks pure. But when you're testing, it's your job to Test. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. The defiled and unbelieving can take the word of God and they can twist it and they can make it into poison. They can take a scripture text like James 2 and say, you know, James chapter 2 is teaching you about justification before God. And it says that you have to have works or else your faith isn't real. And therefore, faith isn't faith unless it has works. And do you see how that destroys the doctrine of justification by faith alone? I'll tell you what, most of the Presbyterian ministers I've met in my life believe James 2 is read like that. I've met less who think that James 2 is about how you give a credible profession before men. To those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, they will take the scriptures, they will twist it, and then they will feed it back to you with poison. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Right? They bring abomination forward as the worship of God rather than the carefully curated, appointed worship. They bring false doctrine rather than the carefully appointed and curated worship or the doctrine that God has given to us. They, Rather than ruling obediently, they rule as stewards who are unfaithful. And they show themselves not to be qualified for office. It is your job to test men to see if they are qualified. We are considering the idea of nominations. We are considering how to have more than one officer right now. And we need that. There are to be multiple elders in every church. We have to be careful about it. And you need to strive to be worthy to be an officer, men. So that's the work. It requires it requires the qualifications because this is the work that has to be done. And without those qualifications, how can you possibly hope to stand? And those qualifications come from God. They are fruit of the Spirit. And it comes from meditating on the Word of God, taking the Word of God in, being renewed, thinking upon the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, private worship, household worship, Sabbath. And the public worship of God. These are the ordinary means that prepare men. And then throughout your day, everything you do, trying to apply the Word of God to every detail of life, so that you are thinking day and night on the Word of God. This is how men grow in fruitfulness. Now, jump back with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll look at the office of deacon. The office of deacon starts at verse eight. It says likewise, deacons be reverent, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. In that first verse, reverent is simnos. It means pious. To be pious, to be reverent, someone who has a strong sense of duty. A deacon needs a strong sense of duty. There's work to be done, and it's not in your household. If a guy is not already working hard to make sure that the boundaries of his own house are preserved, if he's not working hard on his own duties that are more immediately associated with self-government and his household government, if he doesn't show himself to be a dutiful husband and father, then he's not fit for the office of deacon. Dutifulness. Is this guy conscientious? Is he careful about duties that come before him? Deacons must be pious or reverent not double-tongued when you're a deacon, you go in and you see problems of people and you're handling money if you're double-tongued, if you say one thing and then the other thing if you're not trustworthy in your word you will bring shame on the gospel you will cause problems and people will doubt your handling of the money and they will doubt their willingness to let you in and help them with their mercy ministry needs you cannot be double-tongued as a deacon Deacons cannot be enslaved to wine or money. And Though they don't have to be able to teach the faith with great clarity and systematic knowledge, they do have to hold to it. So the confessional standard has to be held to without some sort of rejection of the one word that we have adopted. That is the revealed word from heaven. They have to hold to it with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So so if you're found to be blameless upon examination, if you meet the qualifications, we talked about the idea of displaying these qualifications properly for a year at least, right? So if there's a display of that for at least a year, then there's a display of the attribute positively in a way that fits with covenant duties. And this testing, if it applies to deacons, how much more does it apply to the higher office of elder? It's not mentioned in the office of elder, but obviously it applies to the office of elder. There's to be a testing so that testing is a being examined and that examination is public examination. Likewise, their wives must be, and we talked about the, have this, this qualification of the wives is the qualification also for elders' wives. Reverent, that's that word pious again. Okay? The, the Wives must be dutiful. If the husband is an officer and he doesn't have a dutiful wife, how is he possibly going to maintain the public duties of his office if his wife will not manage the home? If, she, if he doesn't have a Proverbs 31 woman, he can't do the job. Your wife must be pious, not a slanderer, not somebody who brings malicious gossip or who brings false accusation. Again, if the husband is in there and he sees your needs, the mercy ministry needs and he's double-tongued it's going to bring shame on him and on you and if the wife is also in that way somebody who gossips maliciously speaks falsehood brings false accusation nobody's going to want that person's help if the husband knows the wife knows if the wife knows and she's a slanderer the slander will be believable oh she would know she's a deacon's wife she gets to see into all the secrets of these people's lives their budget's a mess She has to be pious. She has to not bring false accusation. She has to control her tongue. The word temperate there is nephalius. Right? That's the sober minded, serious. So she is she's got to be focused on getting stuff done. She's got to be mission focused. She needs to be somebody who can be relied upon to get stuff done. So she is pious doesn't slander, and she's serious-minded. And faithful in all things is a bad translation. That's covered, that principle that the person can be relied upon to do work, that's covered in that simness. Okay? The, 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 the translation there is and she has to believe the faith. She has to believe all of the things in the faith. So in other words, there's the confessional standard and the wife needs to believe the faith too. And so the idea is The husband and the wife together in a clear conscience can say that they believe the confessional standard. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. So they have to be one woman man. Faithfulness in the same way that we talked about with the elder. Ruling their children and their own house as well. So their children and the household. Remember we talked about this morning bet or oikos. This is this idea of the oikos. It's not just a building, right? The guy isn't just making sure his door doesn't squeak when it opens, right? We're talking about somebody who governs the household well as an institution. So he governs his children well, governs his household well. The household includes the wife, children, servants, the estate, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Why does the good standing matter? It's good standing in the church, good standing before men. That means you have a better opportunity to glorify God. Right? Why would you take on this work? Why would you take on being examined by people and having people look into your life? I don't know if you meet this qualification. It doesn't sound like fun. You do that, you suffer in that way, you humble yourself to be examined because you get good standing. When you pass that examination, you stand before men and you have opportunity to glorify God with greater service. That is the good life. A good life is the life of increasing responsibility and increasing work. When there's a judgment, you remember the last judgment? You received a talent, you received five talents, you get ten talents. The guys who did well Did they get a vacation? Did the Lord say, good and faithful servant, well done. Go to the Bahamas. No, what he said was, great, now you're going to rule over five cities or ten cities. It was a promotion, not a vacation. When you do well with resources, the Lord God Almighty gives promotions, which allows you to do more work The greater glory of God. Now, when you've been examined, it also helps you to have greater boldness in the faith. Because you've gone through examination and the fear of being exposed is reduced. Right? We all walk around thinking we're fakes. We all walk around going, if you knew my heart, you wouldn't like me so much. When you're examined, the effect of going through examination is You receive boldness. And as you serve better in that role for a while, the service helps you to have more boldness. You become a public figure, a public person. If you're a deacon, you're an officer of the kingdom of Christ. You are a minister of God. And it helps you to have boldness in service. Boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And that good standing and that boldness are going to push you to have to engage on doctrine. And being a deacon is a great place to learn to be fit to be an elder. And so, the office of deacon has great responsibility. What is its work? The office of deacon is to manage the capital goods of the church. The office of deacon is the treasurer of the Lord God Almighty. A deacon manages the money, takes the money in, gets receipts, is able to account for it, deploys the money, and helps to make sure the money goes to pay officers, to pay for the administration of the worship and meeting of God's people, and to deal with mercy ministry to provide for the poor. That use of the money is powerful as a testimony. There are no other appropriate uses for the money. Deacons have to be willing to engage on that. To guard that money and to deploy it usefully. There's a tendency to dig a hole in the ground and put the money there, put it on the mattress. And there's a tendency to squander money. Humans are interesting creatures. They tend to go to the right or to the left. The call is to carefully guard the money and to deploy it aggressively. The work of a deacon is is to deploy the capital of the kingdom of Christ to get maximum return. And so there is a pushing, a responsibility to find profitable use, to figure out how to grow. These are the fund managers that Jesus Christ has hired. And so the office of deacon is an office for capital management, the dealing with the physical goods and the care of the bodies of the people of God. And that is to free up the elders for the purpose of the ministry of the word and prayer. And the ministry of the word manifests itself in private counseling, public teaching, in church discipline, in helping to make confessional standard to move from where we are, and the government of the church. So you have the governing assemblies, and you have the public assembly for worship. Finding time to make it so that elders can do that work and pray. It is so easy to not pray. There's so much to do our children, and a wife, and a business, a church teaching to do. It is so easy to not pray. And without prayer, you don't have a pastor praying for you and for your house. You don't have a pastor praying for the church. You don't have the pastor praying for the ministry of the word. You don't have the pastor praying for the diaconal ministry, the mercy ministry. How much would you pay for prayers of godly men focused on you? How much would you pay for good teaching? And so the idea is the deacons are paying their time they're working hard to free up time from elders so that they can pray and do the ministry of the word and so you remember how the Lord Jesus Christ says that if you give a prophet even a cool glass of water you obtain the reward of a prophet well deacons give a lot more than a cold glass of water to elders What do they get? A good standing. Boldness. And there will be a great weight of reward. Now these rewards are not the rewards that we obtain through a covenant of works. They're not things that we earn. We don't have them in our own righteousness. The rewards are rewards... For these good works empowered by the Spirit and they are made acceptable in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ and our good works are accepted in Christ. Apart from Christ our best works are filthy rags and our works are only acceptable not seen as polluted because they are accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you have a true faith, if you believe the gospel then your good works, even in the office of deacon or elder when they are what God has commanded done in faith they are good works viewed as clean in Christ, the great reward. I stand open to questions, comments, objections from the voting members and those with speaking rights. Mr. Cordova? Thank you for teaching, Alderese. Uh, A quick question. Something you mentioned about the deacon. If you said this correctly or I understood you correctly. Uh, you said that the deacon is a great training ground or somewhere for an elder. Mm-hmm. So that office be held and then uh, the deacon desires to pursue the elder. Uh, they would go to the council and work that out or do they need to be nominated from that point? Uh, or elder? Yeah, so a deacon could be nominated for the office of elder, just in the same way that anybody could be nominated. Um, and so the idea is a deacon is going to be more publicly on display. It will be easier to see uh, that the man is fit for office. Uh, he'll already have been tested in some way, so there'll be less that really needs to be examined. He'll have been examined, and he'll be kind of on display in his public office anyways. And so the idea is that the, the deacon, it's a great position to practice governance over lesser things and to display competence and to be ready to go into a higher office and so the qualification of of the the skill of teaching um, and this idea of of being fit for the office in that way um, is something that can be focused on and there's going to be likelihood opportunity to engage uh, in private counseling and things like that where teaching is put on display in a greater degree uh, for deacons there's going to be a pressure, so to speak, to become more fit for teaching. Understood. it. Thank you. Good. Mr. Nye? Thanks for your teaching, Elder Reese. Um, regarding uh, multiple elders in every church, I wanted to, um, you mentioned that uh, looking at scripture as a whole it clearly teaches that. I just wanted to piggyback on that uh, and give an example in uh, Acts Chapter 14, verse 23, uh, we're told that Barnabas and Paul um, appointed elders in every church um, and prayed with fasting, and they commended them to the Lord in whom they have believed. What's the citation again? Acts what? 14.23. Acts 14.23 says that Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas appointed elders in every church. Thank you. Okay, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word. I ask that you would send workers into the harvest, into the fields. I ask that you would prepare men, that you would give them strength, that you would cause us to be able to have multiple officers soon. We ask that you would build up your church for the honor of your son. We pray this in Christ's name.